Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the last seven days. Stories like these. Chicago and Cook County have been moved out of the red into the orange zone rage. Now, an update on Chicago's travel advisory. It now includes every state and territory in the U.S. Illinois lawmakers returned to Springfield today to vote on a clean energy bill. 83 voting yes, 33 voting no, zero voting present. And this bill, having received a constitutional majority, is hereby declared passed. More heat on embattled 45th Ward Alderman James Gardner. The Cook County Circuit Court Clerk's Office opened an internal investigation into how court documents got into Gardner's hands. Joining me for those stories and more, Heather Sharon, political reporter for WTTW News. Welcome back, Heather. Thanks for having me back, Sasha. And WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Hey, Dave. Hey, Sasha. Good afternoon. Illinois lawmakers were called back to Springfield yesterday, and late last night they struck a deal, passing a historic energy bill that aims to phase out fossil fuels. Long day for you, huh, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, long day, long night. It it seems like there have been a bunch of those stacked on one top of (laughs) uh, on top of one another over this thing. So, give us the details here. So, this is an energy bill that has been 18 months in the making here basically for the first time lays out a whole series of timelines with the ultimate goal of getting the state completely free of fossil fuels by 2050. I mean, that's only 29 years away, but it lays out benchmarks where the use of wind power and solar power have to be increased and and the reliance on coal-fired plants for our electricity have to diminish. So it's got a lot of moving pieces in it. And it had been stalled because of this big fight between environmentalists and uh, the labor unions. And finally, that whole fight became kind of dislodged. And we saw movement yesterday. And so now this bill goes to the Senate. And Governor Pritzker, it was expressing a great deal of optimism last night that it would get to his desk and he was prepared to sign it. A couple follow-ups for you here. First of all, how much will the bailout of ComEd's parent company, Exelon, cost taxpayers? Well, that's a big component of the bill. Right now, there's uh, nearly $700 million in subsidies that are built into the legislation now that's awaiting Senate action. I mean, this money is coming from electricity ratepayers across the state, and it would, uh, you know, basically ensure that, that Exelon would not be closing three plants, three nuclear plants that it owns, Braidwood, Byron, and Dresden. And that's a big deal for the communities that that uh, are, are hosting these facilities. It's a big deal for the the, the unionized workforce that uh, is in all of these places. And it's a big deal for the governor and, and the green energy people, their desire to, um, you know, confront climate change. These don't emit carbon dioxide, and that's a big factor in global warming. So it's a, a, a big gift to Exelon that, that should buy five years at least of continued functioning of these plants. What about the consumers? What sorts of increases are, are they going to see on their monthly bills? Well, we'll know over time, but I mean, the, the sponsors of the legislation said that, you know, on average, a, a typical residential homeowner would see about a four and a half dollar a month increase in their electricity bill. So it appears like it'll be a pretty nominal increase. What are critics saying about the bill? I want to start with the consumer advocate groups and pick up where you had left off a moment ago. 
Well, I mean, you know, this all was unfolding against the backdrop of this gigantic Commonwealth Edison lobbying scandal. And, you know, there are lots of moving pieces with that. There there are former executives and lobbyists for the company that are now under indictment and awaiting trial. Former House Speaker Michael Madigan lost his job over this. And, and uh, it's clear that the feds have interest in him. He's not been charged nor admitted any wrongdoing. But the consumer groups are very, very suspicious of, of ComEd. They, they worry that, that some of the changes that were written into this bill that deal with their rate making and what they charge consumers ultimately could be gigantic windfalls for ComEd. And, and, you know, we've seen that unfold in the past. And so there's some suspicion on the part of groups like Illinois PERG and Illinois AARP that that could be the case. I mean, you, you asked earlier about the prices. Illinois AARP came out with its own study and they thought that, it, you know, the price could be as high as $15 a month yeah. for consumers. So it's a little bit over the, all over the board there on that. Illinois PERG, you mentioned that Clarify, what is that? It's a consumer group, Illinois Public Interest Research Group, and they've been a pretty staunch critic of ComEd and their lobbying tactics. Now, the reason for this special session, Dave, was um, Exelon's threat to shut down its Byron nuclear facility near Rockford. That's If the energy bill with its massive bailout wasn't signed by Monday, would you say that their threat worked? Well, it was it was a deadline for sure that that I think drove progress on this bill. I mean, you know, there was a, a great deal of anticipation last spring that the environmentalists and the labor unions and, and the Democrats leading the legislature and governor's office would all come together on a bill that didn't happen. And then there was thought that sometime during the summer that would happen. And again, there was no uh, no consensus. And so this deadline got set by Exelon and uh, it, it didn't seem like there was any give to that. And, and I think a lot of people looked at it pretty seriously and said, if the legislature is going to do anything, do it by Monday or, or live with the consequences. And next steps then with this bill. Well, Monday, the, the state Senate comes into session and all signs point to the, the Senate giving uh, passage to this bill. And then it would go on to Pritzker and, and the governor has, has said he will sign it. So, you know, that all should happen in pretty quick order, I would think. Heather, let's pivot now to some city politics. Uh, a northwest side alderman's in some trouble over leaked text messages. What's that story? That's right. Well, this uh, centers around Alderman Jim Gardner. Now, he's the alderman of the 45th Ward, which includes Jefferson Park, Norwood Park. And he had a bunch of his text messages sent to local news organizations, including WTTW News and Black Club Chicago. And those texts really show two things. One, that the aldermen used incredibly demeaning and misogynistic language about staff members, as well as alderman Tom Tunney. Um, And in addition to that, those text messages also showed that Alderman Garner was encouraging his staff to retaliate against those members of the 45th Ward who opposed him. And WTTW reported yesterday that the circuit court clerk of Cook County had asked its watchdog to probe how Alderman Gardner got copies of court records that included an arrest record for a man who organized a protest against the alderman. And just a couple hours ago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, in response to a question that I asked her, said she had asked city's inspector general, Joseph Ferguson, to open a probe into Alderman Gardner to determine whether he, in fact, had improperly used his office to target those who oppose him politically. Now, there's also some controversy over a large development at the Six Corners location in Alderman Gardner's ward, uh, with Alderman asking that the vote be delayed. What's happening there, Heather? 
That's right. So um, the former Sears department store closed in 2018, and it has vacant, been vacant since then. Uh, the city is considering a proposal that would turn that building through an adaptive reuse into 207 luxury apartment buildings. However, the developer only plans to to include six of those units for low and moderate income Chicagoans. And in addition to that, they will pay $2 million into the city's low-income housing trust fund to fulfill the city's affordable requirements ordinance. Mm -hmm. Now, a new version of that ordinance takes effect in October, and if this development was subject to those rules, they would have to provide more than two dozen affordable units. And several aldermen, including Alderman Maria Haddon of the 49th Ward, was really upset that this is going to include so few apartments for those you know who need somewhere safe and nice to live, especially on the northwest side, which has very little, if any, uh, subsidized affordable housing for um, Chicagoans who struggle to find a place to live. And this has helped exacerbate the racial and economic segregation that has really been a hallmark of Chicago for decades. And that, of course, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has vowed to put an end to. Well, to that end, uh, there's another affordable housing battle that's heating up on the city's northwest side this time involving land near O'Hare. This is testing the, the long-standing tradition of aldermanic prerogative, right, Heather? That's, where, that's right. Where we give aldermen final say over development in their wards. That's right. So this proposal will build about 300 units of apartments near the CTA's Cumberland stop on the Blue Line. And under traditional sort of aldermanic prerogative, this proposal would go nowhere because it is vehemently opposed by Alderman Anthony Napolitano of the 41st Ward, which includes Edison Park, um, who says it is too dense for that area, which is really a commercial corridor. However, that development is supported by uh, Lightfoot's Department of Housing, who sees this development, which would include almost 60 affordable units and will abide by the new ordinance um, that would really make a dent in sort of providing safe and affordable homes for people who work in the city, especially those who work at O'Hare. Mm-hmm. The Cumberland stop is just two stops down the blue line from the airport. So it's going to be a big battle, and it will really test whether Mayor Lightfoot will campaign against scaling back aldermanic prerogatives or whether the sense of the city council has changed and that the, the, the crisis in affordable housing in Chicago, whether that has reached a point where they are willing to um, overlook their colleagues' opposition. Briefly fill us in on this, Heather, and aldermen have another important vote that's coming up, and this one has to do with their biggest pay raise in about 15 years. That's right. So every year, the aldermen get to decide whether they're going to take a cost-of-living increase. So just like all other unionized city employees, um, the aldermen would get a raise equivalent to whatever the federal government says that it has ri- the cost it has risen to sort of buy food and shelter and gasoline. Now, sometimes aldermen, they can basically say, no, no, that's okay. I don't, I don't want the pay raise. Those who do accept the pay raise this year will see the biggest one um, in, in several years because, as we all know, inflation is rising and that increases the cost of living. So that will sort of put several aldermen who are, of course, up for re-election in 2023 on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. It's important to note also that aldermen are supposed to work at City Hall 
as part-time jobs. They're all allowed to accept outside employment, and many of them do, working as lawyers and working in, in other fields. So that, I think, also has to be a part of this discussion, because um, even though most aldermen make somewhere around $110,000, $120,000 a year, they can work a second job. And that, of course, has been mm-hmm. sort of the focus of a lot of corruption investigations, including the one surrounding Alderman Ed Burke, who's awaiting trial on corruption charges. He has, of course, pled not guilty. And uh, suburban Chicago mayor is set to plead guilty to bribery, too. What's going on with Mayor yes. Lou Presta? That's right. He was one of the several state and local officials who were swept up into the investigation into the state's red light camera scheme. Uh, So essentially, this alleges that these red light camera firms basically bribed all sorts of different officials to install these cameras and start issuing tickets to motorists who might be a little bit lead-footed and might not be stopping soon enough. Mm -hmm. So we will have to see exactly what he pleads guilty. But this, along with Dave, as mentioned, the the ComEd investigation has really been sort of sprawling corruption investigation, and it remains to be seen sort of how it will all end up. Dave, she sets me right up to bring it back to you here. There were some developments in that ComEd bribery scandal. Can you just briefly fill us in? Yeah, there were a couple of decisions in federal court yesterday on a couple of civil suits that were unrelated to the criminal investigation. One was a case that was brought by the Citizens Utility Board uh, watchdog organization against ComEd seeking restitution for ratepayers because of the scandal uh, from ComEd. And the judge tossed the case yesterday, which was a pretty dramatic result. This was uh, a situation where former Governor Pat Quinn had gone to court and was uh, part of the legal team representing the Citizens Utility Board. And basically, the the judge said that that there wasn't clear-cut evidence that the bribery scandal that ComEd was part of, that Madigan himself was able to orchestrate passage of these bills that became law and that that wound up costing ratepayers a a fair amount of money. And so there was that development, a big defeat for Cub in federal court. And then in an unrelated case, another civil case in federal court, where an investor in Exelon was suing the company because it had allegedly had withheld information about the criminal investigation into ComEd, stock prices went down. The plaintiff was trying to, uh, you know, basically get fact-finding in the case, you know, discovery. And the U.S. Attorney's Office objected to different witnesses being interviewed by the plaintiff's lawyers, saying that it could interfere with the grand jury investigation that is still underway involving ComEd. We know that there have been four different former company executives and lobbyists that have been charged and are awaiting trial, but but the, the feds have not made it a secret that they're mm-hmm. also looking into Madigan. And so that case, the discovery was shut down. The U.S. Attorney's Office said we might not have as urgent a need to keep these witnesses from being interviewed in 60 days. And so that sort of gives an interesting signal ahead what will be happening in two months from now. We'll have to be watching. That's WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Also with us for our weekly news recap is Heather Sharon, political reporter for WTTW News. Now, we still have plenty of news to talk about. 
including stories like these. A new addition in the race for governor of Illinois. Another Republican has officially announced that he is running. This makes four Republicans who officially said they want to oppose J.B. Pritzker in November of 2022. Illinois' attorney general announcing an investigation into possibly unlawful practices by members of the Joliet Police Department. A new labor agreement with the Chicago Police Union has passed its first legislative hurdle. And this is a major step for the 12,000 rank-and-file members of the police department who have been working without a contract for more than four years. Let's start with the latest on Chicago police officers who've been working without a contract for four years. But now they're closer to a deal after getting approval from a key city council committee. Heather, fill us in. Well, this deal can really be split into two buckets. The first bucket is the pay raise that officers are in line for if it's approved as everybody expects on the on Tuesday by the Chicago City Council. The entire life of the deal, eight years, would include a 20% pay raise. Now that would include about an average 2.5% increase retroactive to 2017 and going forward to 2015. The other part of this contract is several changes in how officers who are accused of misconduct or involved in shootings are held accountable. So for the first time in 40 years, once this deal is ratified, Chicagoans can file anonymous complaints against police officers, and those complaints will be investigated if there is something to investigate. Um, The other thing is, is that people won't have to sign affidavits to trigger investigations. And both of those requirements were really condemned by the Department of Justice all the way back in 2017, who said that requirement, which requires sort of telling the police, here's who's filing this complaint against you, really prevented people from coming forward because they were afraid of retaliation. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot has said that that is a historic sort of achievement to ensure that officers are held accountable. Um, another change is that officers will no longer be allowed to revise their statements after incidents, after they review video or audio footage of the incident. Several um, police reform advocates say that that is a way for officers essentially to avoid being charged with um, lying mm-hmm. um, when things like the Laquan McDonald shooting happen. Heather, Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul opened an investigation into the Joliet Police Department this week. What's that about? Well, he wants to know whether the Joliet police have a pattern or practice of violating the civil rights of Joliet residents. And this comes several months after a man died in police custody, which triggered really uh, outrage and questions about how the Joliet police operate. And what's interesting about what the attorney general is doing is that he's really flexing new muscles that his office has been given since the death of George Floyd, or I should say the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody back in May 2020. Uh, His office now has the ability to initiate these sort of investigations, which used to only really be the purview of the federal Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. That law was changed after the Trump administration basically stopped doing these kinds of investigations. So there are more tools for reform advocates to try to get information about whether people's constitutional rights are being protected. We're going to turn now to a story about a new candidate entering the 2022 Illinois governor's race. Dave, who is Jesse Sullivan? 
Well, he's a, a, a venture capitalist who has a successful company in San Francisco. He grew up in uh, Petersburg, Illinois, which is a little bit north of the state capital. And he seems to be you know, making a big splash in this race among the Republicans because of his ability to come into the, into the primary with a lot of money. In the span of uh, just five days, he put $11 million nearly into a campaign fund, and that pretty much uh, eclipsed by 10 times what the money that uh, the, the three other candidates, declared candidates, have, uh, have put into this. You know, there's, a, there's sort of a Rauner-esque quality about Jesse Sullivan because he comes from the, the financial sector. He released a campaign video where, you know, he was stressing his downstate roots and that, you know, religion and faith and uh, and then hitting on a lot of the similar themes that Republicans have hit on historically here about corruption in the state, the, the number of governors that have gone to prison. There needs to be sort of an outsider perspective in Springfield to change things. Again, very Rauner-esque. He, he's really an unknown quantity, I think, among the, the political establishment in Illinois. You know, he'll, he'll have money to be on, uh, you know, a lot of different places, television, digital ads, mail pieces, what, whatever. But I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge to demonstrate that he truly has roots here in Illinois, that he's not just somebody from, you know, outside the state mm-hmm. wanting to parachute in and, and take over. That's what State Senator Darren Bailey uh, Gary Rabine, the, the paving company owner from uh, the, the northwest suburbs, uh, the, the two of them made that point. We don't need somebody from the Silicon Valley telling Illinois how to manage its affairs. You know, that's going to be the, the big question for him. Can he mm-hmm. get around that with Republican primary voters? But, that's... you know, I mean, one last thing, Sasha, on that is that, you know, these other candidates, and I, I neglected to mention former state Senator Paul Schimpf from far downstate, none of them have demonstrated the ability to raise significant amounts of money that would need to be kind of in play for them to be competitive against Governor Pritzker, who has already put $35 million of his own money into his campaign fund and in 2018 spent over $170 million to get elected. So, I mean, I think there probably is some hope in Republican circles that this man can tap into money. Let's briefly take a look at a proposal that passed the city council zoning committee allowing cannabis dispensaries downtown. Briefly tell us, Heather, what would change under this proposal and what's the next step? Well, right now, if you want to legally buy marijuana in downtown Chicago, you can't. Um, it is The sale of marijuana is banned um, basically throughout the entire central business district. And the ability of dispensaries to open up in other parts of the city is really limited. The city is now divided into seven zones, and each zone has only seven licenses. Now, that is poised to change when the city council meets on Tuesday. It will consider a proposal from Mayor Lori Lightfoot that would shrink the ban on legal marijuana sales downtown to just basically along Michigan Avenue, State Street, and and between Illinois and Ohio, all the way out to you guys on Navy Pier. Um, And that is designed, the mayor said, to give more opportunities for black and Latino entrepreneurs who have won a state license in a lottery that has really just been besieged with controversy, to give them more of of the city where it's possible that they could open up, open their dispensary and take advantage of just the massive amounts of cash that this new legal business 
business is creating. Uh, however, it's not clear that it's going to face smooth sailing on Tuesday. A number of aldermen say that this does not really do anything significant to help those black and Latino entrepreneurs and that the state law really needs to be changed and it is fatally flawed. So I will be watching that one very closely on Tuesday. Well, that's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Heather Sharon, political reporter for WTTW News, and Dave McKinney of WBEZ. Have a good weekend. Thanks for joining us for the weekly news recap. To really understand the stories behind the headlines, make sure that you hit the subscribe button and take a few seconds to give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. We'll meet again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.